0: Usually a bad adaptation also means a bad film, people at least who know the book. I've known some exceptions
1: to that. I'm William McFlardy from EssentialCSLewis.com and this is a special edition of All About Jack C.S. Lewis podcast. That's because on the show today I have several guests and they are all here to talk about The Hobbit movies. At the time of this recording, the third film, The Battle of the Five Armies, has been out for less than a month. So that means the entire trilogy has been released to the theaters, thus it is now possible to discuss them as a whole. That actually may not be entirely true as we will still have some time before an expected extended edition of the last movie is out. Nevertheless, I thought it would be useful to at least get a conversation started about the Hobbit trilogy. Attempting such a feat with me are three individuals who have been guests before. But before bringing these friends on, let me mention what most of my listeners already know. But for the few of you who may not be aware, Tolkien and Lewis were close friends. And in fact, Lewis even enjoyed reading both The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings before they were actually published. So that explains why we're devoting a podcast to this trilogy of movies dealing with The Hobbit. All right, with that out of the way, let me bring on my guest. First is Dr. Charlie Starr. He's the author of two recent books. One is a sci-fi story called The Heart of Light, and the other uh, that actually came out a few years ago is simply called Light. That explores an essay by C.S. Lewis that is somewhat mysterious. Welcome back to All About Jack, Charlie.
0: Thanks, William. I'm pumped to be here.
1: Next, we have Dr. Crystal Hurd, who, among other things, is known for her series on Lewis and Women she had on her blog that was also a mini-series here on All About Jack. At the end of 2014, she released 30 Days with C.S. Lewis, a women's devotional for the Kindle. Thanks for agreeing to be here, Crystal.
2: Oh, my pleasure. Thanks so much, William.
1: Then finally, Brenton Dickinson is also my guest, and he's an all-around nice guy. Well, seriously, even if that uh, fact is in question, it is true that he is the driving force behind an excellent blog called A Pilgrim in Narnia. Plus, he has been a guest before with an essay chat. Welcome back, Brenton. (laughs) Glad to be here as well. All right, well, let's kick things off. Uh, I want uh, each of our guests here to give a short answer to this first initial question, and then they'll get a chance to elaborate afterwards. All right, and we'll start off with uh, Charlie, then Crystal, and Brenton. First question is, did your opinion of the series change after seeing the final third movie, uh, as opposed to what your opinion may have been you know, after the first or second movie? So is the whole better than its parts?
0: Uh, I would say that after the third movie, my opinion really didn't change much. Uh, it might be a little bit too early in our discussion to say what my opinion of the whole is, but... Um, The second movie really uh, was sort of the outstanding movie in terms of creating um, conflicts, difficulties, things for me to have to think about. And the third film really just, how's the best way to word it? It it, it settled a lot of those problems by confirming them, um, and it also helped me avoid my worst case scenarios. So after the third movie, my opinion hadn't really changed that much.
2: I must concur with Charlie here. Um, my opinion did not change significantly from the second uh, to the third film. I believe the second film was the strongest myself. Not just because the smile was, was incredible, but th- there were some, I feel like they didn't really tie up some ends. I think they left a lot of things un, unanswered. But uh, overall, I believe I have had you know similar impressions from the second to the third film.
3: Well, I actually brightened up a bit in the third film. Uh, when I list all the sort of cool things, I, I, I do get a lot out of the second film. But to me, the the third film I thought was a bit tighter... If we're going to ask the question of the whole and its parts, I think that the individual parts are better than the whole, which is better than its parts. If if that makes any sense, I think the strength of the film is actually super duper scenes, and then the whole is better than all its individual parts after that. And so, when we come to talk about individual scenes, to me that's the more exciting part. And so, the third film, for me, added uh, added more of those super duper scenes, uh, but overall, I feel about the same for the three. The three films
1: okay interesting all right well then now for the rest of the questions here we'll 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 go in the same order Charlie Crystal and Brenton but then after each of you have maybe shared feel free to you know follow up with with any additional comments that may have come to your mind from the other person speaking Uh, for the uh, second question when I consider before elaborating on what I just asked for the first question uh, among the the three movies do you have uh, what you might say is your, your favorite scene or the best and what would you say that you liked the, the least in one of the three movies or what was the worst scene?
0: Just a slight, a slight contrast to what uh, Crystal was saying uh, in, uh, in terms of what, where she felt the strengths were among the movies is, is that I actually enjoyed the first movie the most mm-hmm. and found the second one the most problematic. And having found the second one the most problematic, then I wasn't any further dis- any more disappointed than I could possibly be in the third one. <laughs> now, so so, but, but having said that, then um, it's in the first film that I think I find the material that I enjoy the most, and it's the earliest material, the material that takes place in Bilbo's house, because that's that's the part of the films as a whole that feels the most like Tolkien's Hobbit, uh, all the charm, uh, the ease of pace, uh, the the, just the joy of hobbitry, um, and uh, the the fun of dwarvishness. Those are the kinds of things that are there uh, in the opening 20 minutes or so of the first film. So that's probably my favorite section, and uh, I love the song they sing about the Misty Mountains and, and, uh, and, and the like as well. My least favorite moment, and I'm guessing that I share this opinion with a lot of people, uh, is the love story that develops in the second film between... A dwarf and an elf. At that point, I'm going, no, cannot allow that to happen. Stop it. And uh, that's, that's 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 the subplot that I could toss out of these movies and be a whole lot happier.
2: Well, I um I I actually have to agree with you again, Charlie, on the on my favorite scene. It was uh, the Bilbo's house, uh, scene the the, the plates. <laughs> Just you know, of course, I I would probably be like Bilbo, like don't break those, you know. It was, mm. I paid a lot of money for this, <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, and uh, yeah, it was it was. Uh, it, it, and I do agree that you do feel uh, sort of the the Tolkien, the influence of Tolkien very strong in those sections. The singing was excellent. Um, just the whole scene really, to me, reflected the book. Um, as far as individual scenes, probably the worst one for me was in the third film where Galadriel is fighting the Necromancer, hmm. and they have this um, strange... I mean, it's its sort of displaced because that's the only time you see it uh, in the entire film. Uh, of course, most of it is dedicated to the battle. But that whole thing with Galadriel and all the flashing, it just like i had all these dragon ball z flashbacks or something and and uh, i i literally laughed out loud in the theater when when that scene happened uh you know i said oh you know i was looking around to make sure people weren't having seizures it was it was a little ridiculous uh it was it was overdone you know so that that, was my worst scene
0: that whole section was
3: awkward Mm
0: -hmm. yeah that's galadriel you want to see galadriel whenever you can but that section was definitely awkward
3: yeah, and a missed opportunity, wasn't it? I think to tie mm. in the storyline. if A lot of the films were echoes, I guess, forward to the Lord of the Rings films, which are older, mm. and I think they really missed, uh, mm. Jackson really missed that one.
2: I think it was more just, a, let's drop her in. Mm. <laughs> you know, let's, let's put these people in to sort of foreshadow, you know, the Lord of the Rings. Um, that, and that was it, but it was so misplaced. It was just the one scene, really, and then you go back to, you know, back to the dwarves. So, yeah. very strange.
3: I, I And it's funny, I mean, certainly uh, I don't know many people who don't think that that, once you get pa- past the really awkward Bilbo uh, prologue of there's some things I haven't told you, Frodo, about the adventures I was on, once that part's done, I don't know many people who don't think that first hour of the first film is sort of the best of, of the mm-hmm. whole bunch. But, uh, you know, actually I... I I think Charlie sort of nailed the question of pacing. I think the pacing's mm-hmm. off on the whole three films. It moves way too quickly, and, and they don't know how to slow it down and let us get to know the characters and fall in love or dislike with the characters. And so, really, to me, some of the best uh, scenes are actually the ones that are high-paced, where they're doing the thing that they know how to do well. And so I really like the elf-orc battle scene on the with the dwarves in the in the in the barrels going down the river mm-hmm. uh, in the escape from Irkwood. I thought that was a great 15 minutes of mm-hmm. choreography and, and basically sort of a uh, uh, warrior dance. Uh, it, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's probably offensive to anybody who's a token purist that now we have elves that are ninjas of the 21st century. I thought it was pretty hot. Actually. I thought it was great. It's a
0: bit over the top, but it, it is it's way it is. over the
3: top. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: The second film, more than any of the others, it seems to me, had this problem of, of just excessively fast pacing. Mm-hmm. There's yeah. never a moment to breathe. Yeah. However, that changes a little bit in the extended edition, and, and yeah. that's nice.
3: Yeah. It, it changes a little bit, but I'm... the. T- I mean, the, the reason we all like that first hour is because of the hobbish, hobbitishness, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. And the dwarfishness. And that's gone as as one person Mm -hmm. online put it you know dwarves don't move like elves and i think it's interesting some of the battle scenes with the elves or with the dwarves i mean and and how they move but it just quickens everything to the point where we we can't slow down and 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 breathe and enjoy the story and the amazing scenery and and all the things that are set up well so to me it's sort of a missed opportunity in that in that way
1: well, now let's go ahead and go back to that first question and give each of you a, a you know a couple of minutes if you need that to defend what you said regarding that first answer uh, about you know is the um, hole better than, you know to, has your thoughts changed why or why not or thoughts that come about when thinking about that uh, Charlie we'll start with you again.
0: Okay, well I guess I can go ahead and let most of the cat out of the bag at this point and say that I I felt that the first film. Um, was the closest to the, to the book, and I realized that they were making changes uh, to make uh, The Hobbit fit more in line with The Lord of the Rings to take a, a you know, sort of a children's uh, travel tale and turn it into an, an epic tale. Um, I got that a lot of that was from the uh, appendices in The Lord of the Rings, um, and I understand then that even Tolkien himself would consider doing that in 1960, and I wrote an article on that a year or two ago, about the fact that Tolkien had considered rewriting The Hobbit and uh, to make it fit in, in more in line and tone with The Lord of the Rings and that Peter Jackson then was sort of doing this thing. But when the second movie came along, um, it, it felt to me like they were getting so far away from The Hobbit that I became more disappointed. And having become disappointed, and then especially with, the again, the love story between, between dwarf and elf, um, I... I came to the conclusion at that point that the third movie probably could not disappoint me any more than I had already been. And so I went into the third movie with very low expectations and found myself then not in any way disappointed because my expectations were sufficiently low. And I was then sort of (laughs) able to enjoy myself Uh. in a strange way. <laughs> and, uh, and so that, and so that's where I, I sort of am. The, the third movie, they in the third movie, they at least killed the people they were supposed to kill. And overall, then, yeah, I was thinking, oh, okay, that's fine. It's over with, and and I'll I'll probably keep watching it for years to come. And I'll later on I'll I'll share why I I feel like I'll probably be addicted to these films, whether I like them or not.
3: Mm.
2: Yeah, that's one thing. You know, as much as we you know squabble about uh, textual accuracy, I love. Peter Jackson's version of middle earth. Mm-hmm. Like it's gorgeous. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, visually the films are stunning. Um, I don't think they disappoint ever. I don't think I've seen anyone online or otherwise in print, uh, complain about the visual, you know, the, the visual quality of the films. It's the storyline, the plot and the, in some places, extraneous characters, um that have been added that um, sort of take away from the original, and that's again, that's that's sort of what i think I think about the three films as a whole. Um, does it tell the story? yes, does it tell it well? probably not. Um, but I paid twelve dollars to go <laughs> see it. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to enjoy and, that yeah and <laughs> I will probably pay $12 skin and go see it and when it comes out I'll probably buy the extended versions with all the <laughs> neat little bookends because oh. um because I I love Tolkien and any glimpse however inaccurate um that I can get a Middle Earth I will take it it's just such a wonderful place you know it's such a wonderful place to visit even through someone else's lens um it's just you know it's 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 just remarkable it's arresting so in those ways i think peter has done a good job with with trying to capture the essence um but the plot and, and like charlie said i mean the love story is ridiculous if you've actually read you know the historical context and if you've read silmarillion and, and some of the you know the, the dwarves and the elves have had a long-standing feud <laughs> It's just like I was like, is this a Romeo and Juliet Middle Earth style that we're doing here? It was bizarre, but but you know, overall, um, I would watch it over most of the crappy romantic comedies that are out right now
3: <laughs> in a heartbeat. Oh well, let me be the outlier here, and and I have I have to say, I mean, I throw myself into these. I'm I'm like. You know, Crystal and Charlie. I'm sure that when I finally sit down and 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 let everything go, then I just thoroughly enjoy them. I actually, I mean, there are some points of the visual stuff, like the dwarf's hands are still awkward, the green screening of of riding of of beasts, uh, horses and moose, I guess maybe the plural i sh- i shouldn 't know the plural as a Canadian, but uh, the um, you know the, they should have done some training on on how those should work, and they didn 't have to green screen a lot of what they green screened but uh, for the most part, it's visually gorgeous. Once they finally toned down the the bit rate per second that that was in the first one, uh, it, it they're gorgeous films in continuity with the ones that came before. I I think a lot of my disappointment just really had to do with when the Lord of the Rings first came out. It was it was it it was the new standard of what one could do with an epic, and now it's. Really, the second version of what one can do with an epic 14 years later, right? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, the technology was cutting edge when he first did it, and now it's, it's sort of the name of the game. And and uh, that's why I didn't like the pacing being thrown forward so much. Was it just felt like they were trying to fill places w- where they forgot to do good story writing? But 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 I, I don't know. I liked it. I mean, Martin Freeman as as the Hobbit. I thought was I thought that was brilliant. And Smog, I, I think is yeah. I mean, I think Smog is brilliant. I, I I like Toriel the elf. I I think she's great. The love story doesn't make a ton of sense, but I don't know. I. I think she just really adds something for this kind of film, for this kind of world, as as Charlie talked about. I, I wrote, as well, of the Hobbit as a living text, as as it continues to move and to change and develop. And I don't know. The, I mean, the Merkwood scene was pretty bad overall, I think, and I don't think there's anything less inelegant in Jackson's repertoire than the Bjorn, the meeting of the dwarves at Bjorn's house. I thought was, mm-hmm. I thought that was. You know, really bad, uh, but for the most part, I thought it was pretty good. I enjoyed it a lot.
0: Yeah, I, no, I, I can't, I, I can't disagree with you about Tario. I, she's obviously placed there as eye candy for one segment of the population, and for <laughs> uh, empowerment for another segment of the population.
3: Yeah, we'll um, see which ones. Yeah.
0: Yeah, but she has, a, she has a terrific presence, and and a, and and she's an awesome fighter, and that's wonderful mm-hmm. to see. It's 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 the whole it's the whole falling in love with a dwarf thing. That's where I just drew the line and said no, absolutely not. I'd rather you killed her off now, but but that's okay. I,
2: I mean, Charlie Keely is not a bad looking elf. I mean, uh, I mean, if, dwarf. if 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 it were if if I were given only fourteen people to choose from and they were all dwarves, I would probably pick Keely. He's he's the most attractive. Well, there's no question. They, they needed. A- <laughs>
0: Couple of beefcake uh, beefcakes among the dwarves, and they and so
2: he's not he's that beefcake.
3: He's like he's dark and mysterious dwarf, isn't he? He's, fi- he's five o'clock shadow dwarf, isn't he? You know, in the behind the scenes, the best kind.
0: On the, yeah. behind the scenes on the first film, they talked about doing his makeup, and they emphasized how they kept minimizing it so that he wouldn't look like a dwarf. So they would look more handsome than yeah. a dwarf is supposed to look. Well, uh, obviously, so we- that they could set up what they did in the second film. Then
3: that's sort mm-hmm. of. Dwarfist isn't it anti dwarfist i don't know uh i mean what's the i mean i went I, I the second time i went i went with kids i took i was with my niece and nephew and my son, all aged um nine to thirteen, and they liked that character. I mean, they liked things that that I I didn't pay attention to as I was going through, and the, uh, and and really, in a lot of the places that they liked were the places that probably they departed most from from the original storyline. With the exception of the romance, they weren't overly into that. So, uh, but w- what got them, of course, was the ending. It was the the feeling that happens when when finally all the character all the dice fall at the end, right? And uh, and and you know, my niece is weeping beside us. Uh, <laughs> you know, as as um, Thorn says goodbye to Bilbo, and and there's forgiveness and friendship again. So, I don't know. I think yeah, I no, think that's,
0: you know. It seems to me that's probably a good clue to the um, to understanding the difference between you know good adaptation and and, and good filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Usually, a a bad adaptation also means a bad film for <laughs> people at least who know the book. I, I've known some exceptions to that. I thought, for example, that. Field of Dreams and uh, The Natural were actually better movies than they were books. Mm. Uh, But for the most part, if it's a bad adaptation into film, it ruins the experience for me. In this case though, and again, especially for people who like, uh, who haven't read the books, uh, if they like the movies, if the movies have done what they were supposed to do in terms of entertaining people, it doesn't automatically mean they're bad movies. I'm Mm -hmm. not saying they're good movies per se yet, but they're not automatically bad movies though they may
3: be bad adaptations. Yeah, no I understand I understand the distinction and and I can only think of a handful of movies that are better on screen than they are in book form. But uh but they're I mean my argument would be they're flawed movies but they're movies that I quite like and and will watch them again and again and I think and will actually draw people into the Tolkien story. I mean You know, the the, the book sales since 1998 have have more than doubled uh, of the token world. And I think that that and actually that's a a real difference between these films. I went back and watched the trailers from the late 90s and the early 2000s and then these trailers. So the Lord of the Rings and then these ones. And the first three trailers from the first films were all teaching trailers. They're teaching people how to watch the film when it finally comes out. And so it's really a different clientele. And of course, Ian McKellen hadn't yet done the Da Vinci Code, so he hadn't ruined his entire career yet. Uh, and so, you know, that context is different, too. That one was for free. That didn't really have to do with the comment before. <laughs> but, but we have such a, a broader token world than, than we had before when it comes to viewers and, and readers and watchers. And, and uh, I mean, for that, uh, as Crystal said, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty grateful for, for that middle-earthness, I guess.
1: All right, well now, our time is going to be getting away here. I'm going to have a couple of questions building off of something that was going to be a later question that we somewhat addressed here, and that is consider a couple of um, things that have been considered controversial or, or maybe they're, they're not to my uh, guests today. And the first one I want to throw out there is the inclusion of Legolas. Was it a good or was it a bad idea, and, and why? Uh, Charlie, then Crystal, and Brenton.
0: Yeah, I, I'll just briefly say yeah, I think it was a great idea. I loved. Uh, I loved. I mean, it makes sense. Thranduil's his dad. Legolas shows up in in the in the story that comes afterwards. Let's mm-hmm. go ahead and let him appear here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, the only negative is that or- Orlando Bloom still looks, the, despite their best efforts, he looks older in these movies than he did in the other yeah. movies. That's <laughs> that's a bit of a problem. But I, I love Legolas, so I'm happy to see him in 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 these films. Not controversial to me at all.
2: Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, Legolas. I mean, and like we've mentioned before, I think it's important, at least for the Tolkienists, that there be some sense of continuity between Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. Um, so that's a it's a nice bridge to Lord of the Rings. If you you know decide in ten years to watch them in in publication order or what have you. So um, yeah, he was he was he was great. And I think he's a fan favorite too. So um, I think there was a good you know, since the population that wanted him included in this film to have that, that continuity before. So like, like we didn't mention Tariel earlier, I and mean, she's kind of dropped after this film, which I, which I thought was a little odd because she's a very strong presence in the first three films. And then of course where she's an, you know, superfluous you know, as a character. She's, you know, it was extracted from um, the, the later three films. She's not even present. So, but it's interesting, um, you know, they always try to throw in love stories for, I guess, the girls that attend <laughs> attend uh, the, the movies. and I, I love going to the films, but I've heard, you know, overheard people say, well, my boyfriend wants me to go see The Hobbit, so I guess I'll go. You know, so I think they try to throw uh, these sort of love interests in to appeal to a wider audience, as Charlie was mentioning, and... Yeah, I think we saw sort of a, an intimacy growing between Legolas and Tariel, um, and some jealousy really between them when she showed interest in a dwarf. You know that. So I think there was a little bit of romantic tension there too that that Jackson got to play on.
3: Mm-hmm. I don't. Know, everybody loves a love triangle, I guess. Right. I, I mean, I, I, okay. Well, I can't disagree with Legolas. I mean. I, I've loved him since he walked on water. Now, it was frozen water, it was snow uh, in the in the film, but uh, in the second film, but or the first half of the second film, or second half of the first film. But, uh, no, I I mean, I, t- t- yeah, the love triangle, I mean, I, I actually like the addition. I don't mind it. I don't mind actually, if we're going to make Tokyun for the 21st century, I don't mind actually making him for the 21st mm-hmm. century mm-hmm. in all the ways that make sense to the audience. However... I, I don't know that friendship isn't more powerful mm-hmm. uh, than than that sort of love tension, and and I wonder if there's actually a, a lost opportunity. Uh, I keep saying that. I wonder. I wonder if that was the best way to go because it, it sort of weirded out all of the the people that that were the traditional watchers and readers, and and I don't know that how much that really engaged. Like if you walk away from the films, that's not people aren't talking about uh, the the feeling, the pathos. Mm-hmm. of those characters, Toriel and Keeley, they're talking about uh, the awkwardness or or how it doesn't fit into the storyline. And I think if, I, if I'm the PR person for this series of films, uh, I'm going to say that that's the wrong message to be going out there. Mm-hmm. Whereas the message of friendship, I think, is one that endures throughout The Hobbit. Friendship and fellowship uh, is is in continuity throughout those four books, I think that that one could have been played up even with a male female character. I mean, mm-hmm. what kind of world is it now where where she couldn't have that bond with a dwarf as friend? And uh, I'm waiting for the director to 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 have the courage to show us that sort of that sort of thing in an epic.
1: All right. Well, let me go, let me wrap up with uh, this uh, question. This was something when I was uh, coming up with, with some questions, I was reading different things, and I hadn't really thought about this, so this may not be controversial to my guests. Maybe it is to any of our listeners here. Uh, but that is, there's the what's considered the Bilbo aging issue. <laughs> In The Lord of the Rings it says, and I'm quoting here, at 90 he was much the same as at 50. At 99 they began to call him well-preserved, but unchanged would have been nearer the mark. Okay, that's the end of the quote. So, but you know, Martin Freeman is Bilbo the Hobbit, and then uh, Ian Holm is in, in the Lord of the Rings. Did this uh, mess anyone up, uh, Charlie? What do you think?
0: Nah, it didn't bother me a bit. Hmm. The, the, you know, Ian Holm could not have played young Bilbo um, at his age. I'm sure to to try to, to try to make those three movies would have been impossible for him. So, I, it didn't bother me, and again, it established a nice continuity between the films. Hmm.
2: Yeah, I agree. Martin Freeman is a fantastic actor. I love Sherlock. I mean, um, a lot of the projects he does are phenomenal. So it didn't bother me a bit. I, I enjoyed both actors. I thought they both did a, a wonderful job.
3: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm there as well. And if you think about it, too, there would have had to be some change because uh, A Hobbit at 50 is still a teenager in, in personality and in character. Mm-hmm. And so how do you do that on film? well i think in the show not tell motif you actually you you age them as a way of separating those things and and this bell was rung 15 years ago when they chose Ian Holm right mm-hmm. uh it's it's actually restoring martin freeman was the real question whether they have somebody who looks older who or who martin freeman has sort of a a boyishness intention with his with his uh really he He's much like an eighty year old in spirit at points, right? And and that's mm-hmm. the that's the tension they allow to play in, in the in the film. And I think that's a step out of Tolkien's Hobbit, but a good step in that in that sense. Mm-hmm. So he shouldn't be that bagginsy when he's uh when he's fifty. He should be more tookish when he's fifty. But mm-hmm. he you know, he's settled into his world already. I thought that was good. And to do that, mm-hmm. they chose a younger actor and I think I think um Charlie and, and Crystal told us why.
2: I think I the to... casting overall, the casting for the the films was excellent overall. Yeah,
3: yeah, I think so too. And can you imagine how do you, how do you do films fifteen years apart like this and and keep those characters and mm-hmm. keep those actors right? Despite the Ian McKellen sidestep with God, right? I mean, how how do you do that? Right? That I I think that's pretty amazing. We didn't get that with Harry Potter, right? We lost mm-hmm. our Dumbledore part way through. And the characters just grew old way too old way too quickly. Here, it's it's um yeah no this is, uh, I think it's a they've done an amazing job when it comes to that. Yeah, it 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 really works. Um, mm-hmm. Even even if you
0: point out that Legolas is is older than he was sixty years.
3: ago. <laughs> oh, yeah,
0: that was <laughs> even there. It's still almost so, so. Yeah, I, I think it was I think it was well done. Um, yeah. Again, some some of the. Some of the uh, casting choices were fantastic. Lee Pace was an absolutely um, amazing Thranduil. Mm-hmm. He, I thought he was absolutely perfect for that role. Yeah, mm-hmm.
3: but I mean, I thought all the elves. Um, mm-hmm. I, I mean, Lee Pace is the creepy elf. Was, <laughs> I mean, that was so good. Yeah, uh, but mm-hmm. I, I've I thought that the elves. I mean, the people they chose as elves in the in the Middle Earth six um, movies. I. I mean, I'll not be able to not think of them as elves, I think, in the future, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, do, has, does Orlando's Bloom still work? I don't know. He's an elf. I, I can't do anything about it, right?
2: <laughs> we got a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame last year. Oh, good
3: for him. Yeah, elf, yeah, you know, yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I think we, we can quibble over, over which we have, over the last few minutes, just sort of talking about um, the different things. But I, I really left the third film... No question in my mind that Peter Jackson was a Tolkien enthusiast. Yeah. He, he read, he studied. You know, he did make some changes we don't agree with, but mm. um, I think it's very evident in the films that, that he has read Tolkien, that he loves Tolkien, and that making these films the past 15 years have been a, a passion for him. Yeah. Um, a heart, you know, it's a, a, a heartfelt project.
0: Um, and he desperately tried to get out of it because of the, just the sheer amount of work that goes into it. Yeah. And uh he managed to get Guillermo uh, Guillermo del Toro to uh to direct the Hobbit films, um and then that fell through and, and there they were stuck without a director and, and uh there there wasn't even a day apparently where Pete just said, Well I guess I'll do it. He simply started doing it.
3: Yeah, I wonder do you think that's why we have do do you think Charlie that's why we have this sort of almost you know, schizophrenic uh um film series is because we have actually two two stories that have been, you know, there was no de- death to the previous project and the new project begun. There was a taking over from Del Toro to Jackson. Do you think that's why we have some of the struggles? I mean, it's really a hot, if you just step back away from token and, and authenticity, it's still a hot and cold epic. There's, mm. It's brilliant and, and flawed. Do you think that the Del, Del Toro pullback was part of that? Or do you think that...
0: I, I don't know I, I was watching behind the scenes on the on the uh, extended edition for the second film, and mm-hmm. one of the things that absolutely shocked me that what that they said was w- once they decided that they could make three movies instead of two, they were suddenly faced with the problem of not really having a complete second film. and so they started working on the fly apparently to to finish out the scenes they would need to make a complete second film. <laughs> so a lot of the decision making seems to be very last minute and, and in that sense perhaps it is because del Toro left. Uh, the, all along, the plane had been two films, and then all of a sudden, well, you know, we can, we got all this extra footage. This is fun stuff. Maybe we should try to do something with it. I, I don't know what the motivation was. It, 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 it'd be oh, I know
2: what the motivation was
0: money. <laughs> and say it's all about money, but I'm, you know, I think Peter Jackson probably has all the money he needs.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, it may have been just the love uh-huh. of the place, like, like Crystal was talking about, just the sheer love of that place, and they don't want to give it up, and they don't want to give up all this footage either
1: all right well i'm going to need to jump in here and we're going to do this in, in two parts here so we'll be continuing our discussion uh, if you're listening to this uh, later than when we're releasing this around mid january 2015 then you can just jump right in and listen to the rest of the discussion if you're catching this as it's being released you'll have at least a week to wait for it or a few days if you catch it at the end of the release but either way i'm william O'Flarity and thank you for listening to all about jack i'm the creator and producer of the show let me uh thank our guest in in order and then at the end of the next show we'll have them share about what they've done online in general as well as specifically recently with the hobbit movie uh the last one being released uh charlie thanks for uh, joining us this time happy to uh crystal let me thank you then for uh, joining us today
2: absolutely it was my pleasure
1: and then before we go of course brenton thank you very much for joining us
2: no it's always awesome
1: all right, So, and uh, be sure to stop by EssentialCSLewis.com or where the audio files are hosted at AllAboutJack.Podbean.com to find out more great information about C.S. Lewis. Of course, he was a close friend of Tolkien. I've had a lot of different interviews. I'll be sharing about that at the end of the next show. So thanks again for tuning in.